Anyone recognize that film? A Christmas Carol. And what's the main character in that film? He is Ebenezer Scrooge. And what's the phrase that he made famous? Oh, let's just say that with a little more passion here on Christmas, the second Advent Sunday. Okay, I'll, uh, after me, bah humbug. Yes, it's a word that we have come to uh, associate with this man named Ebenezer Scrooge. It's a word that's defined as fraud, imposter, nonsense, or gibberish. And that's what Ebenezer Scrooge thinks of Christmas. It's nonsense. It's gibberish. All this Christmas cheer is a bunch of nonsense or gibberish or a fraud. And we've come to know Ebenezer Scrooge as this greedy old man and associate him with the word bah humbug. And in many ways, he was this greedy old tightwad money miser. But then something happened in his life. He received a gift. He saw his future in light of his present and past, and he woke up. He got a second chance. He made amends, and he moved from a life of greed and isolation to a life of joy and generosity. And that's what we want to experience through this series entitled Scrooged. We want to move in some way from a life of greed and isolation to a life of joy and generosity. See, some people have asked me, what does Ebenezer Scrooge have to do with Christmas? And my answer is everything. Everything. Because A Christmas Carol is a wonderful story of divine intervention, second chances, new life, transformation, and a story deeply rooted in the scriptures. It's a story about a man that doesn't know what to do with his wealth. He doesn't know what to do with his life. His whole life is wrapped around his stuff. I recently interviewed J.C. Cutler. J.C. plays Ebenezer Scrooge at the Guthrie Theater. And we talked for about 90 minutes about A Christmas Carol and Ebenezer Scrooge. And I'm going to share the interview over the course of the next few weeks. But let me just show you a brief interaction with J.C. Cutler, Ebenezer Scrooge at the Guthrie, as he describes A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol is one of the few plays that you'll ever see anywhere that is completely dependent on the time period in which it's playing every year. You can't play A Christmas Carol any other time but during the holidays. You can't play it except around Christmas. It lands at a time of the year when we are coming together as families, we're coming together as communities, but we're also, especially in the modern age, coming together in a commercial frenzy of buying and grasping, as well as coming together as charitable people giving, giving to others and giving to the less fortunate. But it's a theme that always seems to land on the human heart right about the time that people need to hear it. It's a theme that lands in the ear and in the heart of people exactly when they need to hear it. Ebenezer Scrooge at the beginning of the play is a man that you should find odious. It should be one of those people that you recognize in life and you would say, oh, I can't believe that person. I would never want to spend a moment with that person. They're hard, cold. He's described as grasping, scraping, covetous, old sinner. He like creeps along and he's just cold at heart and all the rest. 
the kind of people that we make snap judgments about because we don't know their story. He has gotten to a point in his life where he's completely self-sufficient, doesn't care about anybody around him. He just makes money, eats very little, lives in his house, goes to his work, goes back home, swings his cane at the urchins on the street, and around Christmas time he gets particularly grumpy because there's so much good cheer and there's so much warmth in the streets. And as you find out in the story, many things happened around Christmas that caused him to be this way. What I like about that is when you first see him, you get this immediate portrait of somebody that should just shock you and make you think, there is no way this person could ever be anything but this way. They are an awful human being. And you should be convinced that there's no way that person could change. As we often think about people, you know, so set in their ways, there's no redemption for this person. And the fun part of it is, then moving to the second part of the play, or the, the middle part of the play, is to show the backstory, how he became that way, as a little boy, as a young man, as an older guy. And then the final part of the story is to show how he transforms, sheds that skin, and just becomes the man he always was, but finally gets released from all the past and the, all of that stuff. I'm 54 years old, but I can relate to some extent to all of it. I felt resentment, I felt anger, I felt covetousness, I felt all these things, and I can channel that stuff into a character to make it such a complete portrait that I hopefully convince everyone that he is that guy that you would never want to ever spend a second trying to help. If everyone looks at the Scrooge character throughout the course of the evening, they will relate to him. There's no way they can't relate to him. In a strange way, he is an everyman because he's just an exaggerated version of it. But then as the story opens up, as the onion gets unpeeled, you start to see that he was just like everyone else, a child who grew up and had to survive and protected himself so that he wouldn't be hurt and he became the person he was, as we all do. First, there's this reaction to this greedy old man. How could this man get the way that he is so treacherous? Could this man ever change? But then slowly, as the story unfolds and you hear what happened to his life, you understand that I'm a lot like Ebenezer Scrooge, that there's a little Scrooge inside all of me. I love the way J.C. said, you know, I'm 54 years old, but I felt covetousness. I've felt greed. I've felt those feelings identified and exemplified in the life of Ebenezer Scrooge. And in preparation for this series, I did some research. I interacted with JC and I talked with uh, Patrick Johnson of Generous Church. And I also interacted with Mark McDonald. He's actually writing a devotional book with his father, Gordon McDonald, entitled Scrooged. And we talked about the transformation of the human heart and how that is so evident in the life of Scrooge. And as I stalked to these folks and as I read the scriptures and even watched the movie, I came to a new realization that I'm a lot like Scrooge, that I can be greedy, 
that I can hoard, maybe not just my money, but my love or my affection or my time. And I can sometimes move to isolation and maybe not with my lips say, bah humbug, but with my actions and in my thoughts and in my heart that I can be like Ebenezer Scrooge. And I need God to wake me up. I need God to speak to me and transform my heart from a life of greed and isolation to a life of joy and generosity. And I'm not the only one. Because I know all of us at times can look inside our own hearts and see a little bit of Ebenezer at the beginning of that film where he's greedy and old and isolating himself and wanting just to hoard his resources. We may not say, bah humbug, but we think it. And we sometimes feel it. And we know in our hearts that we want to change, to transform from a life of isolation and greed to a life of joy and generosity. And that's why I'm so glad that God inspired Luke to write down a story in the Bible about a man a lot like Ebenezer Scrooge. In fact, there's a number of stories of men and women much like Ebenezer Scrooge that we're going to learn about over the next few weeks. But this morning, Jesus interacts with a man much like Ebenezer. He's argumentative, he's greedy, and he wants his way. And his story is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. Because in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, the words will be on the screen. You'll find a man who's greedy, argumentative, and wealthy. But his problem isn't just his wealth or even his brother that he has an argument with. His problem is he doesn't know why he's so wealthy. He doesn't know why he's been given so much. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, we read the following story. Someone in the crowd, there was a large crowd that gathered to hear the teachings of Jesus. Thousands of people came to hear Jesus teach. And one man came up and said, Teacher, tell my brother to invite the inheritance with me. He says, I've got a problem, Jesus. It's my brother. Tell him to give me what's coming to me. Tell my brother to be fair and right and just. Tell my brother to change his ways. Now, we know these conversations don't happen in our home, so we have to imagine that this may have happened in the first century. Two brothers or two sisters or two people in a home fighting, arguing, and wanting their fair share. And I love Jesus' response. Man, Jesus said, who appointed me judge or arbitrator between you? Now, we don't know exactly the, the emphasis on Jesus, but I'm hearing a little pushback. There's even an exclamation point. Jesus says, man, why are you putting me into your family problems? Now, why are you putting me between me and your brother? Who appointed me judge over you and your situation? But then Jesus, he doesn't want to enter in this conversation, but then he enters in and he speaks truth into the lives of these two men. He said to them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Now, these brothers are probably thinking, greed? I just want fairness. I just want what's rightfully mine. I just want what's coming to me. Who said anything about 
greed. But Jesus warns these men. He says, watch out. Be careful from all kinds of greed. It's a Greek word, and it means having more than you need. Covetousness, exploitation. And the first thing that we notice in this story is that it's hard to see greed in the mirror. It's easy to see greed in your brother. It's easy to see greed in Ebenezer Scrooge, but it's hard to see greed inside your own heart. And that's why Jesus begins this conversation with these brothers by saying, watch out. Be careful. Watch out what you want for. Watch out what you're grasping for. Watch out for all kinds of greed because it's all over the place. So be careful. And then Jesus goes under the hood. He goes a little deeper. He taps into the tension that we all experience at different points in our journey. Jesus said these fantastic words. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. It's not just a fantastic statement. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And we know this intellectually, that you are not the car that you drive, even though the commercials tell us that. You are not the job that you do or the money that you make or the stuff in your home. You are not the sum total of your possessions. And we know that intellectually, but emotionally, every once in a while, we get caught up having the nice stuff or the nice clothes or the nice car or the nice new technology. And we think that somehow that adds to our identity, that makes us who we are. But Jesus says these powerful words to remind all of us of this truth. The man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus goes under the hood. He goes a little deeper. As he so often does, he tells a story to help these two men see their greed in the mirror. He tells them a story about another wealthy man who has more than enough, more wealth than he knows what to do with. He's well off, financially sound, and just received an inheritance. This is what Jesus said. The ground of a certain Rich man produced a good crop. Notice this isn't an average crop. This is a good crop. This is a bumper crop. This is more than he expected or deserved. But this man didn't have enough room for this better than average crop. He had a problem. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, this is a wealthy man's problem. This isn't an every man's problem. This is a wealthy man's problem. He's already wealthy. He's just got wealthier, and he doesn't know what to do with all his wealth. And all of us can feel real bad for this wealthy man that just got wealthier. All of us can feel real sad for this problem. We would like to have this man's problem, but it's a common problem. He's wealthy. And he doesn't have an adequate answer to the question, why do I have so much wealth? So he thinks to himself, he talks to himself, and he reasons to himself this solution. I'll tear down my old barns, 
I'll build bigger ones, and I will store all my grain and goods. He says, I've got a solution. I'll just store all my wealth and goods for me. I'll just build bigger barns. I'll just buy a storage unit. I'll just get a bigger house. I'll just pack more stuff in my basement. I'll just keep all the things that I've been blessed with for me. I'll just move into a larger home. God has obviously given this for me, so he tore down perfectly good barns and he built new ones, bigger ones, to keep all of his stuff. And then I'll say to myself, I have plenty of good things laid out for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And most of us would say, well done. This is wise planning. He's living the dream. He should write a book beyond the cover of Fortune magazine. He saved his money, chosen wisely, and we would conclude that he's living the dream, that he he deserves to take life easy, to eat, drink, and be merry. But that's not what Jesus said. But Jesus said to this man, you fool, This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You fool. You blew it. You thought that all the things you were doing were right. You're saving your resources for yourself, but you've missed the meaning of life. You've missed the reason why you've been given so much Stuff You thought that because you had so much stuff, that you had so much time, that the abundance of stuff equaled the abundance of time. And you thought that you have so much stuff that you needed to save it for yourself. But Jesus says, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Your very life will be demanded from you. And everything that you stored up for yourself will be given to somebody else. And it's not going to be given to somebody else because you are cheerful and generous and willing to share. It's going to be given to somebody else because you're dead. See, this wealthy rich man made a fatal flaw. He thought all of his wealth was just for him to hoard, to keep, to control. And he was wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's even nothing wrong with a wealthy person getting wealthier. The problem is this man didn't know why he was so wealthy. He didn't have an adequate answer to the question, why do I have so much stuff? Why am I so wealthy? And Jesus concluded this parable by saying this, this is how It will be with anyone. Ebenezer Scrooge, this man in the parable, for you, for me. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And it would be easy for us to keep this parable in the first century. It would be easy for us just to say, you know what, I'm not greedy or I'm not rich or this doesn't apply to me. And that's why Jesus began this interaction with these words. 
Watch out. Be careful. With all the stuff that's going around at this time of the year, be careful for all kinds of greed because it's easy to see greed in other people's life, but it's hard to see greed in the mirror. It's hard to see greed inside your own heart. It's easy to see greed in your brother or a sibling or Ebenezer Scrooge or some professional athlete or someone with lots of wealth, but it's hard to see the self-centeredness, the self-sufficiency, the greed inside all of us. I'm reminded of a story that I heard when I was in Congo just a few years ago as part of our partnership with Covenant Kids Congo. I had the opportunity to interact with volunteers from World Vision. And while I was in Gemina, the Gemina region in Congo, and by the way, our partnership with Team World Vision is going great. Our, our team, uh, World Vision Running Club, the team on a shame just raised over $25,000 for the work in Congo. And we are looking to sponsor 10,000 kids, and as a denomination, we've already surpassed 6,000. So we are making great progress to respond to the needs of the poor in the region of Gemina. But while I was in Congo, one of the poorest places on the planet, I got to interact with some of the World Vision trainers, these, these, these trained facilitators. And they told me a story about a community gathering that they had in Gemina, where about 30 to 40 community leaders got together and they went through a series of questions. And one of the questions was simply this, who are the poor in your community? And the people were broken up into groups. And one person said, you know, a poor person in my community is someone that when someone comes to visit them, because hospitality is such a great value in Africa, if someone comes to visit them, they don't have enough food to give to the, pe- to the friend that came to visit them. That person's poor. And another person said, the poor in our community is a person that has some sort of sickness or is lame and can't work in the garden to provide food for themselves. Or another person said, the poor in our community is a person that is blind or lame or disabled and has to sit and beg for money so they can eat. Those are the poor in our community. And then this trained facilitator asked the second question, well, who are the rich? Who are the rich in your community. And they got into groups and they answered this question. He says, the rich in our community is a person that does have resources so that when a friend or family member comes, they can provide a meal to welcome them to their home. The rich is someone when there's a sickness in the home, there's enough money saved to take that person to get medicine. The rich is someone that has enough stored away so when there's a crisis, they're not shaken. And the skill facilitator asked, well, how much money would you need to save in order to be rich? And one person stood up and said, a hundred dollars. If I had a hundred dollars, then I'd be rich. And the facilitator says, well, if you're not poor and maybe you're not rich, how might God be working in us to respond to the needs of the poor. And that's how we are rich towards God. We may not be rich, but all of us have $100 in our pocket. All of us have resources 
to share. We may not see ourselves as rich, but according to globalrichlist.com, if you make $40,000, you're in the up 3% of the world's wealth. We have resources. The question is not, am I rich? But why do I have so much stuff? Why am I so wealthy? Why do I have more than I need? See, at the beginning of the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, he did not have an adequate answer to the question, why am I so wealthy? He just thought it was for himself to hoard, to control, to find his identity. He, he hoarded his resources for himself, just like the man in the parable. But then, through a series of conversations, he saw the light. He got scrooged. He, he saw his future in light of his past and his present, and he changed his ways. He made amends. He moved from a life of isolation and greed to a life of joy and generosity. And I just want to show you a quick clip of the transformation that, had, that happened in the life of Ebenezer Scrooge. A Merry Christmas, everybody! And that is what we hope to experience this Christmas. A new sense of joy. A new sense of God at work in our life, reminding us that a life that's truly life is a life of generosity. It's a life of generosity, moving to the needs of others, of hilarious generosity. I mean, Scrooge was just overwhelmed with gratitude for a second chance to begin again, to make anew. And that's what we hope to experience this Christmas. We hope to get Scrooge. But in order to do that, the first thing we must do is look in the mirror. Be willing to look inside. And most of us, when we look inside, we're going to say, you know what, I'm not like Ebenezer Scrooge, what he was like at the beginning of the film. And I may not be hilariously generous with my resources. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. And maybe God wants to take you this Christmas season down the path towards greater generosity, away from greed and isolation, towards joy and generosity, but we must be willing to look in the mirror. We must be willing to take a look inside and see the greed inside our own hearts. I have a book here for you. It's a gift. It's a gift for everyone here this morning, and it's a gift for, towards, uh, entitled Generosity, Moving Towards a Life That's Truly Life. And it's a gift that we receive through Generous Church that we're hoping to share and to give with you and to anyone else. So this is a gift for you, if for an individual or for a family or for you to give to someone else. But our desire is that we would grow in this joy of giving this Christmas season. And in addition to the messages that we hear on Sunday morning, we're asking everybody to dig a little deeper, to go into the book and to read some more. And inside the book, you'll find a little ladder or curve. And at the top it says, I've been scrooged. And where are you on the ladder? And it's a pathway from a non-generous person to kingdom living where you're giving where your giving has an eternal focus. And our desire for this first week is a little homework for each one of us. 
is to take a look in the mirror and to identify yourself, where am I on this spectrum between greed and hilarious generosity? And maybe ask God, where would I, where would you like me to be? Or to have a conversation with your family or your friends or a community group on where you're at and where you'd like to be. Because we believe this Christmas, God would want each one of us to grow in the grace of giving. And not just the giving of our resources, but of our love, of our time, of our talents, our ideas, of our time for the sake of others. Because no one wants to get old and look like Ebenezer Scrooge. But so often, in little and sometimes big ways, we can live our lives isolated. And this Christmas season, we want to be scrooged anew to the vision that God has for our life. We want to have an adequate answer to the question, why have I been given so much? And how can I share that with others? How can I move from a life of greed and isolation to joy and generosity? And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks as we continue in this Christmas spirit. We're asking God to do a work inside of us, to transform us from the inside out. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for who you are, so thankful for the gift of Christmas. Jesus Christ, who gave up the glories and riches of heaven to come down to earth to be born in a barn and to show us what a life is truly life. It's a life of sacrifice. And Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can do in our hearts. That's transform us and help us see where we are at and where you would like us to be this Christmas season. So we give you our lives and we give you this time. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.